0: Well, good morning. It's a privilege and an honor and almost feel like a chicken in a hen house uh, right before I'm getting taken off to slaughter. Some of y'all looking at me like going like, what does that mean? Chickens are very nervous right before they're taken out of their coop uh, to be prepared for your Sunday dinner. That's what I like sometimes when you don't preach, but once in a coon's age, uh, getting up in front of people that you know. But at the same time, you're very mindful that you're handling God's Word you want to make sure that you do it in such a way that honors Him and it is the truth. It's been a great morning so far to be able to uh, sing with y'all and uh, it's incredible how God works things out. The music uh, right in line with what uh, God has laid on my heart to preach this morning. I had uh, uh, one of the hardest things I think about a message is... uh, The introduction, because you go, how do I start this thing off? And, you know, you have all this stuff, and sometimes your introduction can be way long. And I had this really cool introduction about that dog named Togo, and I said, well, if I do that, then we'll be here for an hour and a half, and it may be the last time that I preach. So we won't talk about Togo this morning, but what we want to talk about is where we're at today. Here we are five days into 2020. Some of you probably... Thought you'd never live to see 2020. Uh, and you think, what will this new year be like? If you watch the news, you know that our world is in turmoil. If you've been watching the news, things are going on in the Middle East. That can stir up some emotion. Things that are happening here in the United States, that can stir up emotion. Things are happening here in our state can stir up emotion. And it can drain you of comfort and peace. It can make you doubt the truth of God's word. It can even make you doubt is there any hope available. And so in this year, 2020, what are you searching for? Most of us will probably be searching for some of the same things that we were searching last year and the year before. And for each individual person, a new year brings about a different idea of what that new year is all about. For some, the new year means as little as I've got to remember to put 2020 on everything and then the stark reminder that, man, tax season is right around the corner. For some, the promise of a new year means something exciting. I'm going to go on a trip this year. Uh, Perhaps I'll get a windfall of cash that'll come my way. There are some who look at the new year's as an opportunity to change the path that they're currently on, a symbolic mean of something new. I'm going to have a New Year's resolution. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to work out. I'm going to read more. I'm going to pray more. And then we, the stark reality is that 80% of your New Year's resolutions have gone belly up by the end of February. So what do we do with the new year? And what do we do with the things that we're searching for? And then there's some people, however, and a majority of you may be in this category. Last year really means very little because of maybe a significant event or several significant events that has turned your world upside down. And then the promise of a new year, perhaps, what is there to look forward to? Is there any hope? And maybe you're here this morning. Well, I know you're here this morning searching for something or you would not be here. Everybody in this room right now, you're searching for something. That's why you're here. So the question is, what are you searching for and where are you trying to find it? As a believer... And I'm talking to the majority of the folks in this room. We pray that our believers, what I mean by a believer is that you've made a profession of faith, that you believe who Jesus Christ said he was, that he was the son of God, the only way to heaven, that he died, was buried, and he was risen again. And you attest that you believe that you would stand up today and give testimony that you are a believer. But, you know, there's a rumor that's been floating around for some time now. That as a believer, your life is always filled with joy, with comfort, with believing in the truth. And that you have a perpetual amount of hope. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you find yourself in the category of waning on those characteristics, on those properties of life, you're not the only one. And the devil will use that to say... Man, you're as bad as you say you are, so just give up because you've got no comfort. Do you really know if you have peace with God? Has God really changed your life? Do you have comfort in knowing that you have an eternal home? Do you even believe the truth in the Bible that sits on your lap? Do you really have hope that when you die... You're going to go to heaven. Do you even have hope that you'll make it out of this year, this 2020? And then you start questioning things because things in your life go south really quick, do they not? And then things in your life go belly up. That's a southern term for things just go bad. And so you tend to question your, your comfort and your, and your peace with God. You tend to question God's truth, his word. And then you tend to question, do I really have any hope? And then what happens is you start looking for those three things in other places. So once again, my question is to you this morning, what are you searching for this morning? And if we could just chuck it down to the cob, why are you here? Why are you even in church this morning? What are you looking for? Are you you're trying to find comfort and peace at home. If I go to church, maybe mama won't be upset with me. Uh, one of those things. If, um, uh, well, you know, I believe part of the Bible, but not all of it. So I'll just zone out where there, he's talking about things I really don't believe in. And and really, you know, I kind of hope, I'm kind of like a believing skeptic. You may say, well, those things don't even go together. But I want you to think about that for a second. Because the majority of people sit in this room at one point ...or another in your time, you have become a believing skeptic. You say that you believe, but yet you really don't believe. Our text this morning is out of Luke chapter 24, so I invite you to go there. And we're going to look at the entire chapter. And right now you're saying, oh my, Pete, I've lost all hope that we're going to get out of here on time this morning. But if you recall, if you remember, we read verses 1 through 12 previously... So hopefully that you'll remember those words of our Savior, those words that we read, God's word, and as we read um, up to verse thirty-four in Luke chapter twenty-four. But before we do that, let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we can be here. And God, we're all searching for something, whether we want to admit to it or not. God, you know our hearts, you know our minds, and God, you know that we're all searching. Even the ones who we look at in the congregation that we say they're a bastion of faith and they're so solid in their their walk with the Lord, they too are searching because life, Lord Jesus, demands that we search for things every day. Every day we have questions. Every day things come up that challenge our our trust and our faith and our hope. I pray, Heavenly Father, as we look in your word this morning, that you would remove me. Pray, God, you'll speak through me and speak to me, Lord, and challenge our hearts and encourage us this morning as, as we go into this year, this year of 2020, with all the things that are happening in the world and in our own personal lives, that, God, that we can have comfort and peace and know the truth and have hope. Bless this time. I ask these things in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. So picking up in verse 13. It says, that very day, and it's referring back to verse 1, that day that the tomb was open, the, the day that they went to see and there was nothing in the tomb. So this very day, this event's going on. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them what things. And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning or in the morning, and when they did not find His body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but Him they did not see. And He said, referring to Jesus to them, O foolish ones, So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So a little background here. A significant event has just occurred. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In Luke's account, as we read, we can see that this has drastically affected several people that has spent a significant amount of time with Jesus. Life events, as everybody in this room is well aware can just drain you. It's like taking a dish rag and wringing the water out of it or a sponge and squeezing the water out of it. When life goes belly up, it can drain you physically, physically. Mentally. So here it is Jesus, this Jesus that they had sold out for, that they had believed in. He's now dead. He's been murdered. His body lays in a borrowed tomb. And everything that they had found comfort in, everything that they had trusted in as truth, the hope that they had that he was the Messiah is now waning. The town of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas that Jesus walked with these disciples where they saw him preach and show compassion to people and all the miracles that he performed, now in these streets, it's cold, it's, there's despair and there's fear. John tells us in his gospel in chapter 20 that it was so bad that the apostles... They were behind locked doors at this time, wondering what had happened, doubting. So they're on this thin line. They're in this shadow between belief and unbelief, what I call their believing skeptics. How could could this have happened? This was not supposed to go this way. So the one that they had pledged their lives to is now gone, and as far as they're concerned, what 's life now what's, what, are, what are we going to do? and all this all this comfort that they once had, all the truth that they once believed in, all the hope that they had, has been snuffed out by this one single event. You know when those things happen, remembering the good times, sometimes this does not help, because remembering the good times just makes you feel more distraught. And how can you even think about the future? Because what does the future hold? Where's the hope in that? So they're searching for something now. And perhaps with an unclear mind, because if you've been there, you know sometimes when catastrophe happens, when bad things happen, we don't think clearly. But what they need is, they need comfort. They need... They need some sort of peace that says they're okay with God. They need to lock onto the truth. They need to know that the truth is really the truth, and they need hope. They're in need of an anchor for their lives right now. We're all in need of an anchor for our lives because we drift here and there. We have these valleys. We're up and down, so we need an anchor. They needed an anchor. And isn't that what all mankind's looking for an anchor for peace and truth and hope? Everybody's looking for that. But here's the thing where are they looking for it? So, where can I find that? So, you may be in that situation this morning. You may go, Man, I didn't want to come this morning because my life, you just don't know, Pete, what's going on. It's just horrible. Well, if that's the case this morning, through God's Word, we're going to look at where you can find those things. And at the same time, we're going to see that this book that you hold in your laps or that's on your phone is God's Word, and God's Word is true. Everything in it is truth. That's the premise of why we're here, is it not? Because if it was not true, then we might as well be just somewhere else, huddled around a fire, drinking cup of coffee or hot chocolate and just saying, well, let's flip a coin to see what's going to happen. So the first group of searchers that we see is what I call the comfort seekers. Those peace in my soul seekers. If you look at verse 1, we see this. And these people who seek after comfort and peace are like us, because here it is, being free from guilt. Being free from the guilt of sin and having the knowledge that you have peace with God Almighty is something that everyone searches for. Even pagan religions search for that. But unfortunately, people who are looking for that will look to religion. You go, whoa, I can't believe you see that. You're preaching. You're talking about religion. I'm talking about false religion, man-made religion to where that my good actions, the good causes that I'm involved in, my pious appearance when I come to church, my acts of piety, my sacrifices, God will recognize and account me as being okay in His sight. But like I said, that kind of religion is a dead religion. It's a man-made religion, void of real comfort. Now, doing good things are good things, but those good things that you do, the acts that you do, the, those things that you're involved in, they're not going to provide the real comfort, peace, and hope that you're looking for. Those good things that we do for a believer come out of what we believe. Ephesians in chapter two, eight, nine, 9, and 10, Apostle Paul penned this. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. It's not the good works, it's not the good acts, it's not the pious attitude, it's not our religious works that gives us peace and comfort with God. It's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's when he died. His burial and His resurrection that gives you that. The good works that you do, those religious activities should come out of the heart of a believer who has that peace with God. So in Luke 24, 1, we see what the women were searching for. And this may surprise you, but the women came to the tomb. They were looking for a dead body. Let that sink in for a second. They were looking for a dead body. How often do you come to church not looking for a risen Savior. And then you walk into a church that's like a tomb. It's empty. Now, remember this. The emphasis in Luke 24 is about the resurrection of Christ, and there's some focus on the empty tomb. But we'll read in a minute what the angel said to the women and what God is saying to you today, get out of the tomb because the tomb is empty. Christ is not in there. You're not going to find Christ in empty religious activity. You know where you'll find Him is in His Word. And you can trust that Word. So let's look in Luke 24.1. says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. So these ladies, they came with good intentions And they were prepared to do some religious ceremonial activity to provide peace for themselves. They got up early. They got dressed. They hid out the door. They were performing a religious activity that was part of Jewish religious custom, which was preparing for the dead. Luke shows us two of these religious activities that were going on in this story. The first one that we see is at the end of chapter 23. And keep in mind that Luke was a Gentile. So Luke, his audience, the majority of his audience were Gentiles like us. They really didn't have a strong concept of the Jewish religious system. And if you, as you read through the book of Luke, you'll see that Luke does not use a lot of the Jewish terminology in his gospel like the other writers do. He kind of puts it down lower on the shelf for us Gentiles to understand. And he says this in verse, the last verse of chapter 23, because the Gentile question is this, if these ladies loved Jesus so much, why didn't they go the next day? This is a Gentile question. This was my question because I'm a Gentile. Why? And so Luke explains this to us non-Jewish folks. He says, On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandments. So they were adhering to the law of their religion. They didn't fully understand yet that Jesus had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, and things were now changing. So they're observing the Sabbath. What a horrible time, huh? I'm restricted by the uh, laws of my religion, and I'm craving. I'm wanting to go after. I want to go to the tomb, and and I'm wanting to see if... Jesus is there and I'm just walking back and forth and I'm not supposed to be doing anything on the Sabbath. Man, I'm just, I can't sleep. I'm, I've am just lost my appetite. I can't, and some of you have been there, but I'm restricted. I'm held back by what my religious dictates say that I can or cannot do. The second thing that we see as in regard to the religious activities they were born were the, the spices. Jewish Ceremonial law for dead people required that when someone died, it was required that two people carry the body. You had to have two people, one person could not carry a dead body according to the Jewish uh, rituals, having the concern with the dead. Also, if a, if a man died, it had to be two men to prepare the body initially for the burial. If a woman died, it had to be two women to prepare the body. And thus you see that in John's gospel, he explains this. So if you'll look at John chapter 19, verses 39 through 40, remember Joseph goes to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus. So he gets the body of Jesus and we read in John 19, 39 through 40, it says, Nicodemus also, we remember him from John chapter three, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they, talking about Joseph and Nicodemus, took the body. There's two. Took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So the requirement of two to put the body, to carry the dead body, the requirement of two to anoint the body with the spices. If you read in the other Gospels, you'll see that the women were not by the tomb at this time. They were away from it because they knew where the tomb was, but by law, by the custom, they were not allowed to be where this was going on. So they prepared these extra spices because what was supposed to have been done was already done. And you know if you stop and thinking about it, the things that we do for the dead, do nothing for the dead, what do they do? They help us, Right? They help us to be able to cope. They, they give us some sort of peace, some, some, some sort of closure, some sort of comfort. So then they go to the tomb looking for a dead body. And when you don't find what you're looking for, you're shocked. They come there. Somebody had left the door wide open. They walk in there, and there's no dead body. All that preparation they did for that religious ceremonial exercise Now they can't do it because there's no body in there. So they freak out, and now they're wondering what is going on. And they see these angels in there, the Bible tells us. And in Luke 24, 5 through 8, here's what the angels say to these ladies. This is where these ladies are going to find that peace, that comfort. Not from what they saw, not from all these religious activities that they were involved in but they find it in the word of god presented to them by the angels says as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground i'm in verses five through eight the men said to them why do you seek the living among the dead just stop there for a second that was a rebuke wasn't just a question you say that you believe then why are you here where there's nobody alive. This was a rebuke on these ladies' lack of faith, lack of belief. He is not here but has risen. Here's the key. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Notice there's no question mark at the end of verse 7. He's, he's not saying, ah, don't you remember? Yeah, of course you remember. In verse 8, and they remembered his words. Ladies, what are you doing here? There's nothing here for you. All your religious activity, all these things that you're trying to do to find comfort, it does you no good because he's gone. He's not here. You won't find comfort and peace in dead religious works. You won't find peace with God just by coming to church on Sunday. You won't find it by doing good things, being part of a cause that seems good to you. You'll find it in the words of Christ, just like these ladies did. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in his commentary on Luke, said this about these ladies' belief. He said, it is well to know Christ's words. Even though we often forget them, because we could not remember them if we had not once known them. Even though our leaky memory lets so much run through, there will be enough remaining in the soul to come back with great sweetness by and by in some time of special need. Thus, those holy women who had often ministered to Christ remembered his words. Jesus said in John 16, 33 said, I have said these things, his words to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. They found comfort and peace in the words of the savior in Christ's words. And then they shared them. And then when you share the truth with folks, people have a tendency not to believe the truth. There's probably people that you know that you've shared the truth with. From God's word, what God's word says, and they don't believe the truth. There are people that you know who are Christians that don't believe the truth. Believers who don't believe the truth. And you say, Pete, there, there's no way, because that's an oxymoron. How can you be a believer and not believe? Let's look. The second type of searchers are those truth seekers, people who are seeking after the truth. So we're going to see what. What happens here and where the truth seekers find truth. So the ladies come back from church to the men who didn't go. And they come home and the men are sitting around the table. And these ladies are changed drastically from when they left this morning to go to the church service. Something has happened. And what has happened is they've heard a message from God's word by the mouth of an angel. I'm not talking about myself. I shouldn't have said that. But uh, they come back and something is different. The men see this, and the women share the truth of what they have seen. They said, look, we went to the tomb to do this religious activity. The tomb was empty. Jesus wasn't there. And the angel said, remember the Savior's words. And when we remembered, whoo, it changed us. And the men are looking up, holding their coffee cups in their hand, going, hey, ladies, you know, it's, it's been tough on y'all. This has been a really... Hard time, you've not slept much, you, you've not eaten. We sure something happened, but surely not this. Look in verse 11. It says, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Who are these guys? These guys are the apostles, these guys are disciples along with the apostles that saw Jesus do all these miracles. These are the guys who attested that Jesus is the Son of God. These women come in, they've been changed by the Word, but yet these guys are not believing that this happened. You go, oh, Peter, I don't know if that really... Well, the Greek word, okay, for they did not believe is aposteo, which ah is without, without belief. Maybe they, they hoped that it was true, So we just can't really wrap our head around that. We see in the the next verse that only one of them decided to go check it out for himself. This was Peter. The only answer that that the apostles gave to these ladies who were pumped up about the word of God was nonsense. You know, in in John chapter 6, we know the story of Jesus was saying, I am the bread of life. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to be my disciple. And the Bible says there was a lot of people who were following Jesus at this time, a lot of people who said they believed. And when he said these hard things about what it means to be a follower of Christ, a horde of them just left. We will not have this man rule over us. I don't want to have anything. This guy is outside of his mind, crazy. Jesus looks to his disciples and said, will you also go away? Is this that hard for you to believe? And here's what Peter says and if we know Peter, Peter's always having difficulty with believing things. He always did. And here, we see that Peter says in John chapter 6 in verse 67 through 68, we see this that what he does is he says that I am, okay, to, to Jesus, he said, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have, what? The words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So here are these guys, these apostles who walked with Christ, saw these miracles. Now they don't believe the women who have come back and said, hey, he has risen like he said he was going to. J.C. Ryle. Pin this about these guys not believing. Because sometimes we can be judgmental. And I've said this, man, if I'd have been there, I would have believed. Hogwash Pete Johnson, you wouldn't have believed either. This is what J.C. Riles says. He says, perhaps we marvel at their unbelief. No doubt it seems at first sight most senseless, most unreasonable, most provoking, most unaccountable. But shall we not do well to look at home? Do we not see around us in the Christian churches a mass of unbelief far more unreasonable and far more blameworthy than that of the apostles? Do we not see after centuries of additional proofs that Christ has risen from the dead a general want of faith which is truly deplorable? Do we not see myriads of professing Christians who seem not to believe that Jesus died and rose again and is coming to judge the world? These are painful questions. Strong faith is indeed a rare thing. No wonder that our Lord said, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? This is Peter. He wants to know the truth. He's seeking hard after the truth. In verse 12, we see this. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, here's another interesting word. Notice Luke does not use the word, and he went home believing. It says he went home marveling. It's a totally different Greek word than the word for belief. It's the Greek word, thalmazo, which means to be astonished, to marvel. Perhaps he wanted... Maybe this is, maybe this is, maybe this is. Peter was looking for the truth in an experience. It was true that the tomb was empty, and he experienced that. But yet, we see that he went home marveling at this, astonished. Maybe that is true, but not fully believing yet. You know, a lot of people look for experiences to say, okay, I've experienced that, so that is truth. The problem with that is that unless that experience matches up with the truth of God's Word, then it's just an experience, and you'll have just as much faith, you'll have just as much trust in the truth of God's Word as you did before you had that experience. Perhaps you'll be awestruck of the experience, but without God's Word to back up that experience... I wouldn't bet my last dollar on it. And speaking of experiences, remember this, Jesus is in the garden. And he's fixing to be crucified. And he's praying to God. And the Bible says that he's in a distraught, very bad place. Sweated like blood. The Bible says he laid on the ground and he cried. Life event. Event was going to be horrible. But what does Jesus do in regards to an experience? He knows that his apostles are going to go through this experience of seeing him flogged and crucified, and that he knew that they were going to experience this lack of faith. So what does he do to prepare them for this? This experience comes back to the Word of God. Remember, Jesus said this as he prayed. He said, Father, sanctify them in truth, and you know the rest of it, thy Word is truth, not the experience. The experience is not truth, even though an experience may be true, but God's Word is the only truth. So where did Peter find truth to believe if he didn't find it in the experience of the empty tomb? Well, let's look later on into the text in verse 36. We see the encounter that Jesus has with the apostles and they're up in this room again, and he appears to them, and let's read what happens. It says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of rolled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. So it's not that he said, Well, Pete, there's an experience. Well, let's go on because it wasn't just the experience. Listen to what happens in verse 44. And then he said to them, What you've experienced, what you've seen, we're going to base it on Scripture. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Here it is. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So what's wrong with man's mind that he doesn't understand the truth? I believe it's because man's mind, just like man's heart, is corrupted from the fall. You could almost say that man is sin concussed from the fall. And a lot of people have their mind made up about the truth. Some say truth is relevant to my situation. Or truth is what I choose it to be. They'll say, well, your truth is your truth, but my truth is my truth. Some will say science is truth. And some people say There's no truth at all. So those people would say, we're not even really here right now. There's no truth. Then some say that church dogma and church tradition is truth. So why is man's mind so confused about truth? Well, the Bible tells us this, that the mind that sits on the flesh is enmity with God, an enemy with God. A carnal mind cannot even understand, Paul says in Romans the things of God's truth. But to understand the truth of God, your mind has to be transformed. It has to be opened. It can only be opened by God's word. Just what happened to Peter and the other apostles when Jesus opened up the scriptures, the Bible says that their minds were opened. And some of you in this room, because I know you personally can attest to the fact that the only thing that has changed your life, the only thing that has put you on a path that you have peace, truth, and hope is God's word. Your circumstances, your experiences have not changed, but you know beyond a shadow of doubt that God's word is true. It provides peace and gives you hope. So we see how God opens the mind of a man, a woman, a born child through the scriptures. Man is not enlightened, enlightened by anything else, only by the scripture. And we know that the truth of God's word is is not mentally comprehended, it's divinely revealed. How many of you experienced that? I'm sure you have. You've, been, you've read a verse over and over and over, and then you're reading it. It may be in a time of despair or trouble. All of a sudden, it's like a 100-watt candle light. <laughs> right on, you go, wow, I get that now. That's God bringing to mind, remembering the word that you've stored in his heart. You've read it a thousand times, and now all of a sudden it has the meaning to it. The third and last search that Luke gives us is the insight to those who are searching for hope. And this, we see this in verses 13 through 34. And this is the longest section in this passage of Scripture. And the reason it's the longest section, because if you go home this week and you read, you'll see that it's a synopsis or it's a summary of what has previously happened and what happens afterwards. It's the same thing surrounding the power of God's word. So remember these guys, we see it on the road to Emmaus. There's two of them. We know one's name, Cleopas. We don't know what the other one's name is. Some people say that it was his wife. They were coming back from the Passover. Some people say it was two guys. That's really irrelevant. I think the relevant part of this text as you look at it is that these two people were part of the apostles and the disciples that were in Jerusalem. Those apostles, those disciples, even though they were distraught, they really didn't believe, they were believing skeptics, they stayed there. These two have left. So they have lost hope to the point that they're leaving their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They're searching for hope somewhere else. Maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you go, I'm fixing... This may be my last Sunday because I've just all, I've lost hope in the church. I just don't, uh, I don't feel like that I have peace. I don't, I don't know if this is the truth. I'm just, my life is upside down. I have no hope. So I'm going elsewhere to find hope. And Jesus comes up to them, which is incredibly awesome for a believer. We know that in Deuteronomy and Hebrews, God's word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And here they are, despondent, no hope walking out on the church, if you will. And the Bible says, tells us that Jesus comes up to them. Now, it's interesting as we read the text, Jesus does not reveal himself to them on the road. He asks them a question, which is is mode of operation. When you read the gospel, Jesus is always asking questions to get people to open up and talk. So he says, what are you guys talking about? And the text says that they're walking and talking. Jesus comes up and asks this question. They just stop. It says, and they were sad. They're distraught. And they say, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? Because Passover was going on at this time. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? Doesn't know what happened. They took Jesus, who was a great prophet in word and deed. And our high priest and our leaders condemned him and crucified him to die on a cross. And it says, and and we had hoped that he was the redeemer of Israel. And yeah, it's the 3rd day and still nothing's happened. So they were there that morning when they heard the ladies come in and said the tomb's empty. They were there when they knew Peter and John took off to the tomb for an experience to find the truth. They knew that Jesus had claimed to be the Messiah and they even vaguely remembered that Jesus said on the 3rd day I'm rising. But it was the third day, all they had was an empty tomb. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Wasn't Jesus supposed to do all this stuff? And what he says, then he says, the Bible says he took him through the Old Testament. So he opened up the word of God. They still didn't get it. And then all of a sudden, they're breaking bread in the house and they recognize Jesus. Through his word, Jesus vanishes. And this is what's interesting to read what they say here. In verse 32 and 33 of Luke 24, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Here's the key. While he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. J.C. Ryle has another quote that I want to throw in before we conclude. It says, "'This dullness of memory "'is a common spiritual disease among believers. "'It prevails as widely now "'as it did in the days of the first disciples. "'It is one among many proofs "'of our fallen and corrupt condition. "'Even after men have been renewed by the Holy Ghost, their readiness to forget the promises "'and precepts of the gospel "'is continually bringing them into trouble.'" They hear many things which they ought to store up in their hearts, but seem to forget as fast as they hear. And then, perhaps, after many days, affliction brings them up before their recollection, and at once it flashes across their minds that they have heard them long ago. They find they had heard, but they had heard in vain. This morning, Luke shows us three seekers. Someone who's seeking for comfort and peace with God. Someone seeking to know the truth. Is this really real? Someone seeking to regain lost hope. And where did they find it? They found it all in the words of Christ. They found it in God's word. This morning, if you're here, if you're a believer, you're not a believer. If you're not a believer, you'll never find comfort and peace and truth and hope until you've been born again, until you've been made new. How can you do that? By trusting in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. His death, his burial, his resurrection. And that alone, not the good works you do, not the good causes you're involved in, but what Christ did on the cross alone. Believer, are you struggling this morning? Are you a believing skeptic? Is it not because that we fail to remember God's word? Because if we, if we call a spade a spade, we would have to say in a straw poll that, yeah, Pete, I'm not in God's Word like I should be. Just coming to church on Sunday morning, getting it, ain't enough. Daily devotions are good out of our daily bread and things like that, but it's not enough. You got to be like the Bereans in Acts. Dig through this thing. Is it really true? God, speak to my heart. That's the only way that I can have comfort. Know the truth is the truth and have hope. I'd like to uh, close with a story in regards to... And you say, well, Pete, I'm still kind of a skeptic and I, I still have to see something to believe it. A personal story in regards to how powerful is God's word? How, can I really trust God's word to provide comfort, truth, and hope? Well, some of you know, and I'm using this example without permission, but I think I will be forgiven. Some of you know that uh, in October, my wife lost her brother and her father within two weeks we were expecting her brother to pass away but there was an evening that uh, me my wife and my youngest daughter Amy were at home and she got a phone call and she walked out on the back deck and then didn't hear the conversation but I heard this grieving horrible sobbing crying she just found out that her dad unexpectedly had died of a massive heart attack Where is the peace and the truth and the hope in that experience? You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor preacher. I'm at a loss at words because it's my wife. It's affecting me. I had to go pick up our other, our daughter and her husband who were up here visiting. And when I came back, my wife and my daughter were sitting on the couch. and my daughter's hand, was the Bible, and she had started from chapter 1 of Job, and she read through the book of Job to Sandy. Sandy said that was the most peaceful, the most truth-finding, the most hopeful thing that anybody could have done for her is to simply read out of God's Word. So just to give you that an example, that God's word is true and God's word does what it says, it will do. If you're here this morning, I challenge you. If you're a skeptic, get into God's word. That's the only way that 2020 are going to give you the things that you're looking for. And in closing, before I pray, I'd like to read this quote from Martin Luther King. Well, Martin Luther, actually, the reformer. Yeah. He says this. The soul can do without everything except the Word of God, without which none at all of its wants or needs are provided for.